Good to be back home after being away for a week and a half. Some of you have been away longer than that. I understand the rain was provided today to make sure that those of you that were in Myrtle Beach don't uh, feel like you're being left out. (laughs) I want to make just a few comments, too. Whoever it was that pulled the post out of the door over here trying to imitate Samson, (laughs) please don't lean against any of the bearing walls (laughs) in this building. We'd like to be able to get out alive. Also, uh, Mr. McNair's comments about having young children stay in church. I remember one time I, was, got, I, got, I got up to give a sermonette, and I noticed one of our boys was reading a comic book. It was a Bible comic book, but nobody else knew that. And I thought, this is going to look great. I'm up here giving a sermonette, and my son is reading a comic book. I came back and sat down and said, Dad, that was a pretty good sermonette, but you changed the introduction from the last time you gave it. <laughs> You know, so they listen. They listen. A lot of things go in. <clears throat> like a teacher one time saw this little kid in her class, and she said, Johnny, why do you have cotton in your ears? He said, well, because I've heard that things go in one ear and out the other, and I don't want to miss anything, so I want to catch everything that comes in. <clears throat> I appreciated Mr. Dumas' sermon, sermonette, because <clears throat> I think it set a stage for what I want to talk about today. You know, giving a sermon the first Sabbath back after the feast is a challenge because you've all heard about 20 sermons or sermonettes in about 8 or 10 days, depending on uh, how close the weekly Sabbaths are. So it's a challenge to come up with something to talk about. But I wanted to address the subject this afternoon that we don't say much about, we don't preach a whole lot about because we use other adjectives. And we don't write that much about it. I actually went online and tried to find something on the subject, and I didn't find a whole lot. But I'm sure somebody will go online and find what I missed. But I want to address a subject that is clearly addressed in the Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and it's mentioned over 600 times. The subject is holy and holiness. Holiness. But I'd like you to think for just a minute, what comes into your mind when you hear the term holiness? Just think for a minute, what comes into your mind? What do you think about when you hear that term holiness? It may be that God is holy. It may be the Holy Spirit. It may be the Holy of Holies. But there are many other ideas that are related to holiness. You know, religious leaders of some different uh, religions, the Pope, the Orthodox patriarchs, the Dalai Lama, are referred to as your holiness. So the other ideas that are associated with this. A military chaplain has been called what? A holy Joe or a sky pilot because they talk about heaven, they talk about uh, about God. There's also an expression, holy cow, which is a euphemism. Somebody will say that in surprise as opposed to saying something else that uh, is not quite appropriate. We hear about the holy grail, the cup that Jesus Christ supposedly drank out of at the Last Supper. 
Um, you can buy online bottles of holy water, water that has been blessed by a clergy person, and sometimes they use it in baptism or for other things. In the uh, evangelical community, there's what is known as a holiness movement, and there are holiness churches, and they encourage their members to try and live without sin, which is not a bad idea. But there is called a holiness movement. I came across a commentary on the web last week while I was doing some research on this. And as one fellow says, the path to, in his opinion, the path to holiness means loving yourself as a creature of God. Loving yourself is the path to holiness. He says, you know, God says we don't have to be perfect, but God does say we do have to be perfect. We have to become perfect. But he said, just be yourself, and it's a very liberating idea. And this is the path to holiness. Now, these are ideas. These are human ideas. But I want to focus this afternoon on what does it mean to be holy in a biblical context? What does it mean to be holy in a biblical context? And why do we need to understand the subject of holiness, especially as members of the church of God? Why is this important to us? How does the subject relate to you as a young person? Why would a young person want to be holy? Why would an adult want to be holy? How does this relate to you and your future? I've entitled the sermon, The Importance of Holiness. The Importance of Holiness. And I want to look at what the Bible has to say about the subject. How the Bible defines holiness. Why it's important to God. And what do we have to do to become holy? Do we become holy just because we believe in God? Or are there things we need to do to become holy? And are there certain benefits that will come if we become holy, if we strive to become holy. You know, my goal for the sermon is that by the time we're done, we'll all have a greater appreciation for this concept of holiness, this concept of holiness, and we'll desire to be holy. There's nothing wrong with desiring to be holy. As I mentioned, the words holy and holiness are mentioned over 600 times in the Scripture. And if we look at what God has to say, it's very enlightening, it's very informative, and I think it's going to have quite an impact on our future if we focus on becoming holy. In the Old Testament, the word that is used for holy and holiness means to be separated. In other words, you're separated from the world. You're set apart from the world. Can mean to be sanctified, in other words, set apart for holy use, set apart for special use by God. To be consecrated would be sacred. That means dedicated to God. You know, Samuel was dedicated to God by his mother. So this is what the word actually means to be separated or to be set apart, to be set apart from the world, to be dedicated to God for a purpose. The New Testament word, hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S, means, again, the same thing, to be set apart, to be worthy of veneration, 
and to be worthy of worship. Now, God is worthy of worship. You know, in Revelation, it talks about that uh, those that God calls and trains and uses, people will come and bow down at your feet. You know, teach me, show me. These are people that have understood the concept of holiness and strive to become holy. Definition I came across in in one of the papers I was going through, it says holiness is separate from worldliness. Holiness is separate from worldliness. You've got holiness over here. You've got worldliness over here. And we'd obviously, I think, want to be where the holiness is as opposed to worldliness. We want to leave the worldliness behind. Turn, if you would, to get a concept of God's holiness. Turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. This is where Isaiah has a vision of God's throne and God sitting on his throne. And the seraphim, these you know, uh, <clears throat> living creatures standing around God's throne with their six wings. Verse 3, it says, One cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, commentaries will mention holy, holy, holy is, is an emphasis. You know, if you call your son, Joey, Joey, come here. You, know, you emphasize the name several times to get <laughs> Joey's attention. And even sometimes that doesn't work. <laughs> but the, the uh, seraphim were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. In other words, he is the ultimate in holiness. John had a similar vision. You could just jot down the scripture, Revelation 4.8, where John again saw God sitting on his throne. And again, the four creatures were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I turn quickly to Psalm 111, verse 9. Psalm 111 and verse 9, just emphasizing the holiness of God. Psalm 111, verse 9, says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, what happened on that? Psalm 111, verse 9, it's not the one. Oh, yeah, it is. Starting in verse 7, it says, The works of his hands are verity or truth and justice. All his precepts are sure, talking about God. And they stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and in uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever, holy and awesome, or holy and uh, reverend is his name. Holy and awesome is his name. Now, people can read this and understand, well, this is talking about God. God is holy. God is awesome. But if you'll turn to Leviticus, turn to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11, beginning in verse 44 and 45. God says something about us. He reveals something that he's looking for in us. Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45. 
says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourself. In other words, set yourselves apart. And you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. What God is saying to the ancient Israelites, you are to be holy. You are to become holy as I am holy. And yet we read in Psalm 111 verse 9 that holy and reverent or awesome is God's name. When you're changed into a spirit being, you're going to be awesome. You're going to be awesome. You will radiate energy. This is one of the fruits of becoming holy. In 1 Peter, maybe just jot this down. We'll look at it a little bit later. 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, Peter tells New Testament Christians, he says, As it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So Peter was telling New Testament Christians, you are to be holy as God is holy. And we'll come back and look at that a little bit later. If we ask a couple more questions, how can we become holy like God? How can we become holy like God? What must we do to become holy? You know, you don't become holy by giving your heart to the Lord. You don't become holy just by believing in God. There are things that we actually have to do. You might ask yourself, do you want to be holy? Well, that's what God is. I, I can't be that way. But we just read where God said, be holy, because I am holy. I want you to become holy. You know, the holiness movement in some of these um, evangelical churches, basically the idea was if you want to become holy, don't drink, don't dance, don't play cards, uh, don't watch television, Don't party. Don't commit adultery and you will become holy. But God's concept of holiness is bigger than don't play cards and don't have a drink of alcohol. God's concept is much bigger than that. I want to look at that in the sermon today. Now, why is this important? Why is it important to God that we become holy? Why is it important to God? And what do we have to do to become holy? Let's go back to Exodus 19. This is where the Israelites are coming to Mount Sinai. They're about to enter into a covenant with God. And notice what God tells the Israelites there through Moses. Exodus 19, verse 5, where God is entering into a covenant with the nation of Israel. He says, Now therefore, if... Notice the if that is there, the condition. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. And the covenant was basically if you obey, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey, there's going to be consequences. So if you obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
Now, being a holy nation was linked to obeying the laws of God because that would set them apart so they could become an example to the world. If you obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall become a king. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And then God gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the statutes and the judgments. And the implication was if you obey these, you're going to become a holy people, a holy nation, and you can become an example to the world. They will set you apart from the world. You're going to be different from the world. And this is mentioned several different times. Let's go to Leviticus. Excuse me, not Leviticus, but Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now, when God was speaking to the Israelites in Exodus 19, he was addressing the parents that came out of Egypt, the first generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt. And he told them, if you obey my laws, follow my instructions, you're going to become a holy nation. They didn't. They turned away from God, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years till that generation died. Then just before the second generation went into the promised land, Moses <laughs> talked with them, and he basically went through the same thing. So he's talking to the children who watched their parents die in the wilderness because they turned away from God. This is the setting for Deuteronomy chapter 4. You know, A lot of commentaries will say this is the second giving of the law, but they leave out the context. They leave out the context. God is speaking to the children who saw their parents perish in the wilderness. And you would think this generation would be very, very alert. But they, they listened, but then they turned away. But notice what he says here in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Now, O Israel, you kids, so to speak, Listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land that I'm giving your fathers. Don't add to the word which I command you. Don't take away. You just do what I've asked you to do. Down in verse 6, he says, Therefore be careful to observe them, that is the laws of God. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. This is going to set you apart from the world. You're going to be very different from the other nations around you if you just do what I've asked you to do. Because God wanted them to see some things. The people will hear these things and hear the statutes and they will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people once they see your example. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? What nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law that I set before you this day? Deuteronomy chapter 7, again in the context of obeying the laws of God. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. So Moses is laying out a big picture. He said, this is what it's all about. This is what it's for. Verse 6. For you are a holy people, a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples in the face of the earth. 
And again, in verse 7, it says, The Lord did not set his love upon you or choose you because you were more in number. You were bigger, stronger, wiser, smarter than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. You were slaves in Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt, gave you my law, which was designed to set you apart and set you above so the people would see your example. And this was God's intention for his holy people to set an example for the world. What do we have to do to become holy? Deuteronomy chapter 10. Again, all of this is summarized very neatly in a couple of chapters here. But he's summarizing it for children who saw their parents perish in the wilderness because they turned away from God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning verse 12 and 13. There are things we have to do. We can't just give our heart to the Lord and all of a sudden we're holy. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? In other words, what do we have to do? But to fear the Lord your God. Many people today don't fear God. Well, God says that, but here's what I think. Here's my interpretation of what's in the Bible. That we don't fear God when we act that way. God says, remember the Sabbath? Well, I keep every day as a Sabbath. No, God didn't say keep every day as a Sabbath. He said, I want you to keep the seventh day as a Sabbath. Well, I celebrate Jesus' birthday. I celebrate Jesus' resurrection. I don't need to keep those Old Testament holy days. And yet God said, I want you to keep them forever. A statute forever. You know, fearing God is doing what God asks us to do. So God requires that we fear God, that we walk in his ways. We don't just talk about it. We walk in his ways. We talk the talk and we walk the walk. We walk in his ways and to love him. And what did Jesus say in the New Testament? If you love me, that's great. He said, no, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, we don't have to. Jesus kept before us. So we come up with all these rationales that really don't hold any water. But God requires that we love him and to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 13, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. So this is what God requires of us. He's got a plan. He wants us to learn to keep his law, to love his law. So we can be a light and an example to the world. It's interesting how the New Testament repeats some of these same things. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This says basically the same thing that Moses said to the Israelites. This is New Covenant. This is in the New Testament. Verse 9 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, but you, and Peter is talking to the church. He's talking to New Testament Christians. You are a chosen generation. And I'm speaking today to a chosen generation. We've got several generations here. But you're here because God has called you. God has chosen to work with you. And that really merits a lot of fear of God. Wow. 
And some people say today, you know, you don't get ahead in the world unless you know somebody. We've been called to know God. Jesus Christ is our big brother. Those are some big names to drop. <laughs> it's an incredible privilege to understand the truth today, to have your mind open to understand that. But then God requires something. He's looking for something in us once he opens our mind. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A holy nation, his own special people. Not because we're any better than anybody else, but we've been chosen to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. You might look in several different translations of this verse. You've been called to tell of the great deeds of God, how he intervened in your life, what he's doing on this earth, the work that he's raised up. can also be translated to exhibit the virtues of God's way of life. Let people see how you live. Let them notice that you're different. Now, almost every year at the feast, people make comments, oh, you're with this church that's here. You people are really different. <laughs> you know, you're nice people. You don't mess up our motel or a hotel. You don't make all the rooms smell like smoke. You're polite. You're patient. How can you wait and not getting a bad attitude when it rains so many days down at Myrtle Beach. Now, if you've gotten a bad attitude, <laughs> that's between you and God. But people notice that we're different, and in a good way. To proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness, we're to leave behind the world that God called us out of. So these are New Testament concepts, but it's the same thing we read in the Old Testament. Notice in 1 Peter 1, chapter, verse, let's see, where do we want to start here? Verse 13, Peter says again, talking to New Testament Christians, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, focus your mind, focus your mind, be sober, be serious, and the rest of you uh, hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've been called by grace. We didn't deserve to be called. God called us. But he says, be obedient children. Obedient to what? We'll see. It's the laws of God. Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts. Now don't, don't go back into the world and do the things that God called you out of, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. You strive to be holy in everything that you do as the one who called you is holy. So there are things that we have to do. There are things that we need to do if we want to be holy. Again, God's plan is to prepare a holy people to lead the world in a very different direction. We heard in the sermonette about the results of the types of governments that we have today where people get into power and they want to do whatever they can do, whatever they can get away with, and to hang on to that power. But God is preparing a group of people that understands a different form of government, that understands a different way of doing things. These are his holy people. You know, in Luke 1.17, maybe just jot that down, that we are to... 
Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's our mission as a church, to make ready a people that is prepared for the Lord, to prepare, prepared to rule as a king, prepared to rule as a priest, prepared to teach God's way of life. That's why we have church services that last two hours, not sermons that last 15 minutes. They kind of make you feel good, pat you on the back, and then, of course, leave your offering before you leave the, the services. But our, our services are instructive. They're educational in, in nature. People take notes, and I'd encourage you, don't just sit there and listen and agree. Take some notes so that you can remember what you're hearing. I know as I get older, I've got to take more notes. I know as Mr. Ames does too. (laughs) As we get older, our brains don't work as well. But if you're listening and then you're writing it down, you're engaging your brain more than just kind of listening. Or if you're just going to listen, put some cotton in one ear. (laughs) So that what goes in the other doesn't come out the other way. But take notes. One of these days, brethren, you're going to be in front of a group of people explaining the laws of God, explaining how to become holy and why we need to become holy. You might think, oh, that's a long way down the road. You know, I came into the church, what, 40, 50 years ago. We memorized the names of, I think we had 15 evangelists at that time. I never thought I'd be one, but I are one today. (laughs) You know, I listened to sermons. I didn't anticipate giving a whole lot of sermons at that time. But we've been called to become teachers. You read the scripture, Isaiah 30, verses 20 and 21. People will see their teachers. They're going to see you. And you're going to have the opportunity to literally change their lives with what you tell them. Try and absorb as much as you can at this point in time because you don't know when you're going to have that opportunity. God will know when you're ready. So prepare. Get ready. So God is preparing a group of people, and the church is making ready a people, prepared for the Lord. Now another scripture, maybe just to jot down, Revelation 19, verse 7. Revelation 19, 7. It talks about the bride that is going to marry Jesus Christ, that's the church, has made herself ready. If you're the bride, you don't just jump out of bed and run to the church. Generally, you plan for weeks and months. You've got to get your hair just right. You've got to get just the right gown and so on. You prepare. You make yourself ready. We need to be preparing now, making ourselves ready so that we can marry Jesus Christ when he returns. So God uh, has a plan that he's working out. He's called us to be part of that plan and to help others become part of that plan. Okay, what instructions did God give to the Israelites to become a holy people? He said, if you do certain things, you will be a holy people. The implication was, if you don't do those things, you're not going to be a holy people. So what instructions did he give? Now, some of these things you don't need to turn to, but think about it. In Exodus 20, right after he said, uh, if you obey, you will become a holy people. You can go through Exodus 20, and there you find the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath. These are the things that we have to begin to do 
We need to keep the Ten Commandments. Jesus didn't keep them for us. We've got to keep them. Then I'd encourage you to spend a little bit of time just looking through Exodus 21, 22, and 23. And these are the statutes and the judgments. It talks about, you know, you don't murder. Uh, it talks about how you treat uh, people, basically how to love your neighbor. It talks about if you have a dangerous animal, you need to have them penned up. In other words, this is how you love your neighbor. You don't let dangerous animals run around. Um, if somebody steals, they need to restore what they stole as opposed to slapping them in prison. I remember one situation where a little boy was uh, up in a store, happened to be one of my sons, and uh, in fact, both the boys were there. They came home, and the story was one of the boys stole something. And I looked at him and said, Do you take something? He said, Yes. I said, let's go back up to the store and we can give it back to the owner. Do we have to? <laughs> I said, yeah, we have to. So that was probably the hardest thing he ever did. He went up to the store and he gave him back a piece of gum or something like that. I remember one time whenever I was a kid, we lived in a small town in Ohio, and uh, we were in an A&P store. They don't have those things anymore, I don't think. But it was a grocery store. And I took something. I don't know what it was, but when I got home, my mother said, let's have it. Let's have what? What you stole at the store. How'd you know? Because the store owner called me. It was a small town. They knew who we were and where I lived. They knew who my parents were. But fortunately, I didn't get away with it. I got caught. And it was a lesson. I visited a fellow probably a dozen times maybe in almost every prison in a particular area where I was pastoring. And I asked him one time, I said, Joe, his name wasn't Joe. I said, Joe, the only time you call me is when you get in jail. Why are you here? He said, because I never learned to respect authority. I never learned to respect the law. When I felt like hitting somebody in the mouth, I did. When I felt like breaking something, I broke it. When I felt like taking something, I took it. And he was in one jail after another after another because he never learned certain things. Now, there are consequences if we break the laws of God. Exodus 23, it talks about three times a year. Verse 14, you shall keep a feast. So this is part of the statutes and judgments. To be a holy people, we've got to keep God's Sabbath. We've got to keep his holy days. Verse 25, and notice how specific some of these get. Verse 25, Exodus chapter 23. So you shall serve the Lord your God. He will bless you, will bless uh, your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from you or from the midst of you. And other physical benefits. These are the benefits that come if we follow God's guidelines for what we eat and how we take care of our bodies. And these blessings, then, God wanted to set the Israelites apart from the rest of the world. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 10. Again, these are statutes, these are judgments, these are God's instructions to a people that he wanted to become holy. 
to be seen as holy, to be recognized as holy. In fact, if you go to commentaries, uh, they'll mention that the, this, this section through Leviticus is called the Holiness Code. The Holiness Code. Because these are instructions how to be a holy nation. How to be a holy nation. These instructions were there to set the Israelites apart from the other nations of the world. But notice beginning in verse 9 here in Leviticus 10. This is specific. So do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons, with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting. Now this is instructions to the priests, to Aaron and his sons. Lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Why? That you may distinguish between what is holy and what is unholy, between what is unclean and what is clean, and that you may teach your children, uh, teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to you this day. So the reason for these statutes is so that we can distinguish between the clean and the unclean, between the holy and what is unholy. Getting drunk before you preach might make an exciting (laughs) sermon. (laughs) But that's not the way we're to function. That's not the way holy people function. This doesn't mean you can't have a glass of wine after dinner or with dinner. What it's saying is don't drink on the job. And there are a lot of uh, carnal laws that say the same thing. Don't drink and drive. Don't drink when you're preparing a sermon. That'd be another thing. (laughs) This is how a holy people will function. In Leviticus 11, we have the series of food laws here. Animals that are appropriate to eat are clean. Animals that are inappropriate to eat are not clean. And if you'll notice, this is Leviticus 11, and the scripture that we just read at the very beginning, Leviticus 11, verse 44 and 45, actually through 47, this is the context in which God said, Be holy, as I am holy. The first part of that chapter is about not eating unclean foods. Uh, animals that God did not create to be eaten. And then begin in verse 44 again. For I am the Lord your God, therefore consecrate, set yourself apart, and you shall be holy. For I am holy, neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing. In other words, don't eat those things. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, therefore be holy as I am holy. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and every creature that creeps on earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between the animals that may be eaten and not eaten. So these were physical instructions of how to be holy by living a particular way of life. Then you can leave through the rest of the other chapters here. Chapter 12, childbirth regulations, circumcision on the eighth day. Again, there are medical reasons behind these things. This is how you become a holy people. This will set you apart from the rest of the world. Leviticus 13 talks about quarantine. 
If you're sick, don't come to church. You know, the Jews understood this in the Middle Ages, and then they were blamed for causing plague on other peoples because they didn't come down with many of the things that bothered people in the Middle Ages because they followed specific guidelines. Uh, other environmental regulations uh, for houses and part of the Levites were to go around, check the houses. If you've got cracks, you cover them over because otherwise there'll be bugs will get into those things. You know, we warn people about uh, uh, <clears throat> bed bugs at the feast. I woke up when I was leaving Florida and there was a bed bug on my pillow. <laughs> he didn't last long. <laughs> but, you know, if there are cracks in, in walls, that's where the bugs go. And we, these are specific guidelines. You don't, you know, take care, of the, take care of those things so that you don't come down with the diseases that other people will. Just a number of things here through um, these chapters. Leviticus 19, verse 2, sandwiched in with all these physical instructions. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy. Then verse 3, he talks about keep my Sabbaths. Don't turn to idols. Holy people don't do those things. Verse 9, he said, When you reap the harvest of your land... You shall not wholly reap the corners, but leave the gleanings. Leave something there for people. If you're thinking about other people, you're different. You're holy. This is the example that you can set. Leviticus uh, 19. Leviticus 19, verse 28. He says, you shall not make any cuttings on your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo marks on you. And yet, what do people do today? You watch these pro football games or pro basketball games. Guys are covered with uh, uh, tattoos all over the place. Where else do you see that? Go look at some of the the Maoris in New Zealand, some of the headhunters in in, uh, New Guinea, places like that. They're all just covered with these designs. God said, don't do that. I have made you in my image. Don't mess up the design. Don't mess it up with all these decorations. And yet it's kind of the thing to do today. So these are some of the examples that God gives us in his scriptures. Uh, This is instructions on how to be a holy nation. Go to Deuteronomy very quickly. These are the instructions in Deuteronomy again to the second generation that came out of the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 1. Dr. Meredith referred to this at the feast. Type of government that God's holy people will have. Verse 13, chapter 1, Deuteronomy. Choose wise and understanding and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them. I will make them heads over you. Verse 15, so I took heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, made them heads over you, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So here's a structure for the government. And they were by appointment. They were chosen. They weren't elected. 
So this is the type of government that God wants his nation to have. Moses was told the same thing in Exodus chapter 18. I mentioned the Sermon at the Feast that uh, Will Durant has written a book, um, Lessons of History. And he mentions that the most stable form of government appears to be a monarchy, a king. And that when Jesus Christ comes back, he's not going to come back as a president, as a prime minister. He's coming back as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Durant mentions that democracies appear to be the most challenging, most unstable form of government. And Plato even recognized this about 400 years B.C. He said there seems to be a sequence of governments. They start out as a monarchy. They go to an oligarchy, a rule of the few, the king's buddies, and then to a democracy, and then to anarchy. It just comes apart. We appear to be watching that happening today. And then anarchies are attempted to be... uh, uh, What's the word? Solved or taken over by a dictator. It'll come in and say, look, I'll straighten things out. Just put me in there or I will get in here as Hitler did. He wormed his way in and became a dictator and messed up really bad. But God provides these instructions for a holy people. Go to Deuteronomy 14 quickly. Again, he repeats the dietary laws. In Deuteronomy 14, there's several things there just to notice. These are instructions on how to become a holy nation. Verse 1 of chapter 14. You are the children of the Lord your God. Again, this special people, this holy people. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. To make a a tonsure. Some of the Catholic priests would make this big bald spot like I'm getting on the back of my head. I didn't make it. <laughs> it just happens. But, you know, the Catholic priest uh, would, would put this bald spot back there, actually shave it that way as a symbol of the sun. And then apparently some of the uh, Catholic priests in England would shave the front of their head, kind of like mine is. <laughs> but they would do this mutilating their bodies deliberately to be something that God did not create them to be. But here's God, very physical instructions. You are the children of the Lord your God. You're my special treasure. I chose you to be a light and example of the world. You shall not cut yourselves and shave the front of your head. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure. Again, to set an example. And then he talks about the dietary laws again. Don't eat certain things. They weren't made to be eaten. And this will set you apart from the other peoples in the world. He also talks about tithing. This is God's economic system. I'm not going to take 50% of your income. I want 10%. And you keep 10% for yourself. Then every third year, you donate another 10% for the people that are needy. This is what God designed. It'll work if we do it. Notice a couple of other things here. Deuteronomy 17. Beginning in verse 14 through the end of the chapter. It says, Now when you come into the land which the Lord is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Not that you choose. Your God chose 
Saul for a reason, to teach the Israelites a lesson, but then he chose David, and he was a good king. He was one of the yellow marks that we saw on the screen before <laughs> in Sermonette. But they were few. They were few. He said, don't set a foreigner over you. But in verse 18, it also says, also shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of the law in a book, the one, before, the, the one that the priests have. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. And he shall study these statutes and judgments. And sometimes we think about this, well, I have to do this because I have to be righteous. But God told the king to do this because the king was then to teach the nation these things. To teach the nation how to be a holy nation. And he'd be able to do that if he's studying the holy book of God. So these are things we can begin doing now, preparing to teach, preparing to lead by studying the laws of God. In chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, it talks about there no pagan rites, no witches, no mediums. Uh, don't be doing those things. Civil laws are listed here in Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 20, again, just noticing how specific these are. Deuteronomy 20, verses 19 and 20. It says, When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, do not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them if you can eat of them. In other words, don't destroy the fruit trees. Don't destroy the food source. Don't cut it down. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may cut down and use in besieging the city. He's giving laws here that would set his people apart from the rest of the world. 22 verse 5. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord. Not only shouldn't you get into homosexuality, don't come anywhere near it. You look at some of the pictures on the Internet from these gay parades, gay uh, Mardi Gras. You have men dressed up as women, women that just don't dress, period. <laughs> they may have nothing on. This, this is not how holy people function. Holy people function very differently. Very differently. You know, these gay Mardi Gras are nothing but a parade of perverts. People doing things out in the open, God said, is horrible. This is how unholy people operate. This is how our world operates today. Chapter 23, verse 9 through 13. Again, just noticing how specific these things are, but these are guidelines, physical guidelines, that God gave to the Israelites to set them apart from the rest of the world. Chapter 23, <clears throat> verses 9 through 13. And these are guidelines that would obviously apply to us if we were keeping the feast somewhere where we were camping. 
the same guidelines would work. When an army goes out against its enemies, keep, uh, then keep yourself from the wicked thing. If there is a man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence at night, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp. But it shall be in, when evening comes, he shall wash until the sun sets. Verse 12. Also you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out, and you shall have an implement among your equipment. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole and cover it. Let's talk about going to the bathroom. Talking about sanitary waste disposal. We had a chance to visit Fort Ticonderoga one time after the feast up in New York. There was a battle fought up there. They had about 5,000 American troops got around there. And I think almost half of them died, not from a battle, but from dysentery that they caught from polluted water. You get 5,000 people around a fort up there. They've got to go to the bathroom. They've got to eat. Various things happen. And the water gets polluted. And then they drink the water. And somehow they get bacteria. And they died. They said more people died of dysentery than were killed in the battle up there because they weren't following these instructions. These instructions are practical. They're practical. If you visited, I think we visited uh, a castle over there in North Wales that uh, had a walled city. And uh, again, you get five, six, seven, eight hundred, a thousand people living in a walled city. The, um, <clears throat> the sewage has to go someplace. So along one side of the wall, must have been about at least this long, probably 20, 30 feet, they had privies that were out over the edge of the wall. They had these little holes up there so people would go up, sit down, and the, the waste material would go down the edge of the wall. But it went into a pond that drained right into the bay that was right there. So they were polluting the water that was there. They were outside the wall, you know, following this instruction, but you've got to bury things. You don't just drop it in the river and it goes down and pollutes the next person down the river. But very practical things. Let's go to uh, Deuteronomy 26. Why are these instructions here? Why are these instructions here? We read them in the book of Leviticus. We read them in the book of Exodus. We're reading them in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses summarized the law to the Israelites just before they went into the promised land. And they agreed. But notice what the summary included. Verse 16, Deuteronomy 26. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. You said you wanted to you know, abide by the covenant and the uh, <clears throat> requirements, and that you should walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, that you will obey his voice. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you on high above all the nations which he has made in praise, in name, in honor, that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God. 
That's why these statutes are here, is to make you a holy people, to make you separate from the world, so that you will stand out and be different, that you can be an example to the world. This is why we have these statutes here. God's instructions to the Israelites would basically, if you obey my laws, you're going to be a holy people. You're going to be different. You're going to be set apart. And I can use you then to be an example to the world. That was his intent for the Israelites. Now, what about Christians today? People will say, well, that's Old Covenant. That's in the Old Testament. That was for the Jews. Uh, We don't need to keep laws today. It's all in our heart. So we don't have anything to do today. I came across another little commentary somebody posted about holiness. Uh, And this is a Christian source. Quote, unquote. (laughs) The person says, Cultivating a lifestyle of holiness does not mean that we need a list of do's and don'ts. Cultivating a lifestyle of holiness does not mean that we need a list of do's and don'ts to live by. We are free from the letter of the law which kills. And they quote 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, where it says we're not under the law, but we're, excuse me, uh, <clears throat> the law kills, basically. And I also quote Galatians 5, 16 through 18, that we're not under the law anymore. What Paul is saying is we're not under the penalty of the law anymore. We have a Savior. If we sin, we can ask for forgiveness. The ancient Israelites couldn't do that. But he said we're free from the letter of the law which kills, and we now live according to the dictates of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what are those? Well, love God, be nice, and things like that. But let's notice... Instructions that God gave to New Testament Christians in the New Testament. And we've already quoted 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, where it says, You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're called out of darkness. Leave behind the things that you were called out of. 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 16, we talked about that, which says, Be obedient, not conforming to your former lusts, sins, but be holy in all of your conduct. So there are things we've got to do as New Testament Christians if we want to be holy. Let's look at several other scriptures quickly. In Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I encourage you to look up holiness. Look up the words holy uh, and see how many times they're used and how they're used. But Paul says to the church of Ephesus, and again, this was a Gentile city, a very prominent city, a big temple was there, a lot of things done there that we wouldn't want to do today. But Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, this is the introduction to the uh, epistle. Beginning in verse 4, he says, Just as he, just as God chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, he has a plan, he has a purpose he's working out that you should be, that we should be holy and without blame before him. We've been called to become holy. We've been called to become different. We've been called to come out of this world. 
and to leave behind the things that we used to do. 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. So Paul mentions here some aspects. And this is picked up by people that do read the New Testament. Beginning in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, the one who set you apart, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So generally the world picks up on that. We shouldn't commit fornication. We shouldn't commit adultery. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. But down in verse 7, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. He has called us to become holy, come out of this world and be different. And we do that by following the instructions that God gives us in his laws and statutes and judgments. Finally, in 2 Corinthians 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. See, there are things we have to do if we want to become holy. It says, therefore, having these promises, you're talking about coming out of this world, becoming part of God's family, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Perfecting holiness, working on perfecting holiness. You, you work at that. You work at that. You make the effort to do that, to cleanse yourself or purify yourself, eliminating sinful thoughts, sinful actions, aiming at perfect holiness. We aim at it. This is our goal. And this is something you can do as a young person. No, I'm not going to do those things. I want to do something different. I want to do it a different way. As an adult, and you'll get pressure from people at work, hopefully not here in Charlotte, <laughs> but if you work out in the world, you'll get pressure from people. You mean you don't keep Christmas? Don't you love the Lord? No, I don't keep Christmas, but I do love the Lord. And I want to do what he wants me to do. An interesting phrase I came across while preparing the sermon says, holiness is loving God and doing what he wants us to do. Holiness is loving God and doing what he wants us to do. Holiness is not loving Jesus and doing whatever we want to do. Holiness is not saying we love Jesus and then doing whatever we want to do. That's not holiness. That's worldliness. So God is preparing a group of people to be holy. And to be holy, we've got to learn to keep the commandments of God. We've got to want to keep the commandments. As we mentioned in the very beginning of the sermon, John 14, 15, Jesus was talking with his disciples the night before he was crucified. And he's telling them, he's, he's running over the essence, the basics of Christianity. He said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. If you love me, follow my instructions. You don't add, don't take away, just do what I've asked you to do. We can't be sinning and be holy. If we sin, we can ask for forgiveness and then we strive to become holy. We strive to do it God's ways. We need to remind ourselves periodically that sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John 3, 4. 
We sin when we break the laws of God, and we have to ask for forgiveness. And we focus on not doing that again. Again, some people think that they've sinned if they've had a wrong thought. Well, the thoughts will come into our minds. Satan will beam those in. (laughs) But we've got to bat the thing out of our mind. I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to focus over here. I'm not going to focus over there. So Satan will try to get us to do things. Somebody does something to you, your tendency is going to be... (laughs) you got to count to ten, and then another ten, and then another ten, and another ten. You see people in the world all the time. Somebody cuts in front of somebody. Boy, somebody will stick their head out of the window. Ah! They start screaming and making signs and gestures and all these things. That's how the world acts. We can't do that. We've got to be different. How you be different, you don't want to say, I don't do that. (laughs) And, you know, progress or project this image, oh, I'm just this perfect person. No, we just have to not do it. Sometimes it's hard. Why is it important, let's conclude with this, why is it important to be holy? Why would we want to be holy? And this might sound, I think I used a joke at the feast, that um, this preacher was given a sermon and he said, how many want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. A whole bunch of people raised their hands except this one guy. And he saw him back there. He saw what he was doing. He said, if you really want to go to heaven, come on up here in front. So everybody came up except this one guy. He said, Mr. Jones, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, well, yeah, I do. Then why aren't you up here? Because I thought you were getting a group ready to go right now. (laughs) He wasn't ready to be holy yet. (laughs) He wanted to stick around a little bit. Why would we want to be holy? Why would we make the effort to be holy? I'd suggest you read Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. Because it says those who overcome, those who make the effort to obey God and actually begin to obey God, it says they're going to have power over nations. They're going to have power over nations. They're going to be pillars in the temple of God. They're going to be with Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, part of the government of God. There'll be pillars there. I remember when I first read those verses, I thought, I don't want to be a pillar. Pillars just kind of stand there. And they're going to be locked up in the temple. (laughs) And they can't go anywhere or do anything. You know, for those of us that have had the opportunity of representing the church, we're based here in Charlotte, but we travel all over to be pillars, to be support, you know, to support the beliefs of people. And people appreciate that. Thank you for coming. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Being a pillar in the temple of God is going to be an exciting, rewarding, fulfilling opportunity. But we're not going to be there unless we're overcomers. Unless we actually begin to live by the laws of God. 
They're going to have power over nations, pillars in the temple of God. They're going to sit on thrones. They're going to sit on thrones. They're going to have a crown of righteousness. Hopefully this will motivate us to want to be holy. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Why would we want to be holy? And the short answer is because the opposite is not going to be very good. (laughs) Revelation 21, verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Eventually, part of the universe. Maybe your own planet. He who overcomes, she who overcomes, whether you're a young person, an older person, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God or her God, and he or she may be my son or my daughter. This is your option. This is your opportunity. But notice the flip side. Verse 8, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, and God says homosexuality is an abomination, among other things. Murderers, we're told not to kill. The sexually immoral, we're told not to commit adultery. Sorcerers, idolaters, liars, these are things that we read about back in, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Don't do these things, not as a holy people. They shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the flip side of not wanting to be holy, of doing the things the way the world does things. Final scripture, let's go back to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. Talks about something that's going to happen in the coming kingdom of God. That's what Isaiah 35 is. It's scriptures to talk about the millennium, things are going to happen there, and things that will happen in what is pictured by the last great day, when everyone who's ever lived is going to be resurrected. Isaiah 35, verse 1, talks about the desert's going to be rejoiced and bloom and so on. But down in verse 8, it says, A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. There are different ways of translating that. No lion will be there. In other words, no dangerous beasts shall be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there on this highway of holiness. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. And we sing a hymn about that. There's going to be a highway of holiness. And it's going to be for the redeemed, for the holy. They will be able to walk on this. I visited some Indian mounds after summer camp this summer. It was a big area, probably several miles. But they had, when they reconstructed the posts and everything, it was a big entryway or a, 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 um, an approachway. In order to come into this complex, you had to walk through this, this big, wide area. It was a highway. It was an approachway. Um, when you walk up to the hill of Tara in Ireland, there's kind of a depression there. So coming up to the hill of Tara, there was this depression. It appears to have been a walkway. It was an entranceway. It was 
but only certain people could walk on that entranceway. What this is talking about, there's going to be a highway as it leads to Jerusalem. Now, how long it is, we'll have to wait and see. But it said only the redeemed can walk there. Only the redeemed can walk there. Only those that are holy can walk there. I'd suggest maybe read Psalm 15. It's a psalm of ascent. It's a psalm that apparently was sung when they come back to Jerusalem. We've got time. Let's just go back there. Because it describes how holy people will think, how they will function, and will be this type of individual that's going to be able to walk on this highway of holiness. Psalm 15. It's a psalm of the Torah. It's an instructive psalm, but it's also a processional that they would sing coming up to the temple. Verse 1, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who can dwell in your tabernacle? Who can dwell in your holy hill? Answer, he who walks uprightly, who works righteousness, who speaks the truth in his heart, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil his, does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up reproach against his friend, in whose aisles a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. You can read the rest of the psalm. Brethren, we've been called to become holy. As we mentioned in the announcements and in the bulletin, we've come back from the feast. You've heard a lot of sermons. I'd encourage you to take some time to examine yourself. Maybe read Galatians 5 where it talks about the works of the flesh, the fruits of the Spirit. Because Jesus mentioned, I think it's in Matthew 5, not only should we not kill we shouldn't say derogatory things about other people. Not only should we not commit adultery, we shouldn't lust after another person. See, the Old Testament was primarily physical instructions. The New Testament is physical and spiritual instructions. It's what we think up here. Take some time to examine yourself. Focus on some things that you'd like to change. Not that you'd like to change <laughs> but that you need to change, that I need to change, and strive to become holy. You set some goals for yourself. Ask God for help. If you're struggling with something, ask for advice. And the sermon I gave, I think it was down in the Ozarks, it was talking about leadership and teaching. A guy came up to me and said, you know, I've been struggling with a certain thing, but your sermon was an answer. He said, I got to a point where I couldn't do much more on my own. I needed some help. I needed some instruction. But set your heart on becoming holy. Focus your life on living by the laws of God so that you can be in the kingdom of God and help others to become part of the kingdom of God and help them change their life so that they can be in the family of God. Brethren, this is the biblical importance of holiness. It's mentioned over 600 times in the scriptures. It's important now and critical to your future, so let's strive to be holy as God is holy.